0: When the seagulls follow
2: the trawler, it's because they think sardines will be thrown into the sea.
3: I will love it if we beat them. Love it.
4: I'll have a low-fat pizza or something like that, or a few biscuits and some milk on a Sunday. And you can pair up if you like, and you can fucking pick someone else to help you, and you can bring your fucking dinner.
3: Now you know him better than anybody, probably. Do you back him to score quickly? Yes or no? Yes.
0: Only oh, oh, not no.
2: Hello and welcome back to Quickly, Kevin. Will he score? I'm Chris Gold. Joining me, as always, Josh Whitaker. Hello, and nice to see you. To see you, nice. It's Michael Martin. Hello. Shall we talk about? Um, obviously, Josh, we went to see myself and Michael went to see you perform at the London Palladium and uh, yes. under the stage. We were talking a lot about the fact that Bruce Forsyth is buried under the stage.
1: Yes, or oh, his ashes. Uh, yeah, his so ashes. there's a plaque. There's a <laughs> there's a plaque under the stage where Bruce Forsyth is. Um, it describes him in the plaque as Britain's greatest ever entertainer. I don't think you should be putting unverified <laughs> claims on your citation own
3: needed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't get me wrong, I like Bruce Forsyth and I think he's excellent, but I don't think you can be claiming that in your plaque because you're undermining your own... Do you know what I mean? Also, like, at
2: least put on... If you're going to say that, put up until this point. Yeah. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Because it's a bit... If you're going on stage, you're like, oh, I'm never going to be as good as Bruce.
1: Well, yeah, also... And and potentially his ghost is going to be there putting you off. What, 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 What happens if they go... We're gonna to have to change that because we just feel like Bradley Walsh has actually earned it now. <laughs> <laughs> he's done enough in the ten years post Bruce that he's tipped him into second place.
2: <laughs> but we were saying like, uh, do you know, so his ashes. How have they put the ashes? Have they just dug a Like, don't, they I dug can't a quite hole? work it out
1: because it isn't a concrete. I don't know whether they've concreted over his ashes or you couldn't spread them on the floor because you, you just beat, put them loose. No, they weren't there. Like, they just get hoovered up. <laughs> like, so I don't know.
2: <laughs> it's that's just were there for a day, and the cleaners yeah. came in. Where's let...
1: Bruce? You've hoovered up Bruce. <laughs> Bruce's greatest entertainer. You've hoovered him up. <laughs> um, Chris, have you got any 90s o'clock news? Let's go. <laughs>
3: Headquarters of ITN News at 10. With Chris Scott
2: Roberto Carlos makes Shrewsbury and District Sunday League Division 1 debut. That's your only story. That's all of we've course got. It is. That's all we need.
1: How old Roberto Carlos now?
2: 50 years old. And it's been seven years since he last played a game, and that's for the Delhi Dynamos. He's turned out now for Bull in the Barn United in Shropshire. So this story did the rounds a few weeks ago, but um, I've done all my research. I've read every single match report. I've read everything there was to read about it, and I've put together the full story because it's a little bit difficult to get you... ..to kind of see what happens. Yeah. I will say, I think this is awful. (laughs) Like, I think his appearance might have been absolutely rubbish, but see what you think yourself. I will say... It was for a very good cause. So there was a raffle. It, like Sunday league teams from around the world were invited to buy a raffle ticket and uh, for support of Football Beyond Borders, which is a charity that helps yeah. disadvantaged young people who love football and are struggling at school. And if you won the raffle, Roberto Carlos is going to come play a game for your team. The raffle was won by uh, Bull in the Barn United, a team in Shropshire, and Roberto Carlos fulfilled his contractual requirement and turned up. And actually, he Did was a play at left back. Well, let me get into that. Let me begin by telling you how he was announced. It was announced by the Shrewsbury town crier, and of course it was. I just want to play a bit of the town crier uh, announcing him because it's a lovely little clip. Here we go. <laughs> There you go. That's the Shrewsbury town crier Amazing. announcing that Roberto Carlos was going to play.
1: Are, so, you, are you pleased or not if you're in the opposition? I think you're pleased, aren't you? It's a bit of novelty. Yeah, bit of fun, isn't
2: it? Bit of fun. The big crowd there. Chris Kamara was there. Yeah. Okay. So he's in the bull in the barn. You know, he's in the team. He turns up. They have the warm-up, right, before the game. Towards the end of the warm-up, they Roberto Carlos is invited to take a free kick. So the team he's warming up with <laughs> all line up. I mean, I would be nervous, like like Roberto yeah. Carlos, one of the most fearsome free kick takers I'm going to say in the history I'm, of the game.
1: I think Roberto Carlos's free kicks weren't that good. I think he scored one good one. He was one of those classic people that kept, who kept just booting it into the crowd because he'd <laughs> scored. Bit like Ronaldo, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, I think
3: in terms of like statistics, there are far better free kick takers than, than both of those. Roberto Carlos was dining out on that goal, that free kick goal, for for the rest of his career. It's like someone who's got one great <laughs> yeah. anecdote. You know, like, fucking hell, why do we keep letting yeah. this guy tell the jokes? <laughs> do you know? Uh,
2: I was with uh, I was with some West Ham players. And uh, we got onto the subject of um, Roberto Carlos. And I said exactly that, Josh. I was like, I just don't think he was very good. And they were like, Are you mad? Do you not know who Roberto Carlos is? So, yeah. But when you used to watch him, he would shank almost every free kick. But you would always hear him about the one at Le Tour Noir that defied physics. But in the main, he was rubbish, apart what from did a few the people. They said, Do you even know football? Do you know about football? Like, they really thought they couldn't, they didn't but, know but which way was up.
3: You, you weren't saying he was a rubbish. Fullback, you were saying he was rubbish at free kicks well,
1: I, I, you might have broadened I, your point i might have broadened my point to
3: encompass okay. the fact.
2: <laughs> i didn't think because defensively i didn't think he was that good either
3: I, I don't think you can play for real madrid and brazil for that long as first choice left back and be and be rubbish He might have not tracked back as much as he should have, but...
1: You should have brought this up when we interviewed Brian Robson. You should have... When he told the anecdote about not signing Roberto Carlos, you should have said you had a lucky escape if you ask me, Brian, he's dog shit.
2: (laughs) Although I did uh, one of the players, I was telling, I was uh, expressing this. Well, now uh, this theory, I now regret that Roberto Carlos wasn't actually that good, just as Roberto Baggio wasn't that good. I was telling her uh, Nikola Vlasic, who's a Croatian player for us, and he had trained with. Uh, I think his old coach, uh, his previous team, had been Robert Yarni, and Robert Yarni yeah. had played with Roberto Carlos, and said that. His thighs were the biggest thighs he had ever seen on a human being, and that Robert—he would be in the gym with Roberto Carlos, and he would just do enormous weights. Like he would focus a lot on his thighs and just do enormous weights with the intention of like
1: being able to kick the ball so hard. There's Um, a picture, isn't there, of Roberto Carlos's thighs that is absolutely insane. Yeah. Anyway, carry on with the yeah, story. Anyway. And I'll... So, so, anyway, they're in the warm-up.
2: Back to the bull in the barn. They're in the warm-up. And uh, Roberto Carlos is like, oh, you you line up, I'll take a free kick. And this is the warm-up. He shanks it badly wide. Of course okay. he does. Okay, so now, okay, teams go in. The lineup is announced. Roberto Carlos starts the match on the bench. What? Is that a bit annoying? Okay, so he's on the bench. Okay, you're a bit annoyed. If you come to watch, it's freezing. You've come to it. that's a bit annoying. They're at the opposition. Harl Scott Rangers go 2-0 up. On comes Roberto Carlos. And he's picked his position. Where's he playing? Left back, surely. Defensive midfield in the middle. What? (laughs) Again, guys, you need to face the fact that Roberto Carlos was not very good. Is this the new Roberto (laughs) Badger? So his first touch, he gets tackled. He gets tackled with his first touch. Then, bull in the barn, bearing in mind the 2-0 down, get a free kick on the edge of the box roberto carlos refuses to take it what
1: <laughs> <He> refuses
2: <laughs> to take the free kick the match report says everyone is running past him and this is half then it's half time you're like okay he's had a bit of a shocker it will, it will gather he'll gather himself teams come out for the second half they're running out onto the pitch no roberto carlos Oh, what? He's not, he doesn't even appear from the dressing room as the second half starts. Oh,
1: that's a shame. He's
2: back on the bench, right? Bull in the barn, pull one back, the two one down, but then Scott Rangers race away. They go into 4-1 lead. Bull in the barn, pull one back, 4-2. There's the last few minutes on the clock. By now, Roberto Carlos is back on the bench. Bull in the barn, get a penalty. Last few minutes, on comes Roberto Carlos. He slots it away. He tells the keeper, I'm putting it in that corner. Pots it away, scores... Subs himself straight after. Final score, pulling the bomb free,
1: Scott rages. Oh my God, what a disappointing day out for everyone. Hold on. <laughs> Are you allowed, like,
3: rolling it's subs just... in Sunday league football?
1: Yeah. I, well, they're worse in this game. I don't know if that's the rule usually. Well, you... I imagine that all, all rules go out the window, because I imagine they hadn't also uh, registered Roberto Carlos at the start <laughs> of the season. Imagine if you were on the opposite team, Michael, you were picking them up on
3: various issues you had. I would absolutely wait until they beat us and then I would look forward to that 3-0 default victory due to league admin. (laughs) What an incredible story. Um,
2: There is a couple of quotes from Roberto Carlos after the game. He said, It's like being back in 1993. It's a great feeling. I'm used to playing at the Maracana, Wembley, the Burnabout, Old Trafford. He said... In 2007, I had the chance to move to Chelsea, and earlier in my career, I had offers from Birmingham and Villa, but the negotiations didn't go well. The first English team that managed to sign me was Bull in the Barn. The good thing is, the game finishes and everyone goes to the pub, and he did go to the pub after the game. Oh, and when nice. he was in the pub, th- there's clips on uh, Twitter of him FaceTiming Sergio Ramos for the team, just oh, for a little petal. So that's fun. He pulled there it back. Go. He pulled it back in the pub. We'll let him. I've up.
1: sent you the picture of Roberto Carlos's thighs. They are incredible.
2: That's mad, isn't
1: it? Yeah, he That's looks like he's so got some of his pockets, but he hasn't got any pockets because it's skin. <laughs> That's so mad. Should we have the electronic post bag? Let's go. I'm Jim Rosenthal, and this is the electronic post bag. You've got mail. One quick one from Philip Taylor. Just a quick one and a near miss. Footballers with different real names, based on obviously John St. John. Mark Hughes's real name is No. Leslie. What? Yeah, he used to have a Porsche with the number plate LMH123, so his full name is Leslie Mark Hughes. Wow! Yes, it's true! Yes. The near miss is Brian McClare, who revealed on his podcast that even though he was a boy, his mother wanted to call him Mary. Not uncommon (laughs) in the Catholic community. My dad's middle name is Mary. Therefore, United's Ford line in the early 90s was nearly Leslie and Mary. (laughs) And he answered Carol not far behind. All the best. Philip Taylor in Manchester.
2: There you go! Wow, Leslie Mark Hughes, more 90s footballers with fake names. I'd love, to, I'd love
3: that. Yeah, I have sympathy with Mark Hughes. My my middle name used to be Leslie. Did it? Yeah, yeah. It's my granddad's. Did you get name. rid of it? Oh, yeah, I got rid of it. So I changed my name. So my birth name is not Michael Marden. It's Michael Martin. And then when my oh, yeah, mum is, yeah. remarried later in life, we sort of all changed. To Marden as our surname, but I always hated Leslie as a middle name. So when I changed my passport, finally, when would changed oh, my name by depot I just I got rid of I got rid of Leslie. So yeah, I feel I feel an affinity <laughs> with Mark Hughes.
2: You and Mark Hughes, kindred spirits.
3: I'm also really good at volleying.
1: <laughs> I've got a question actually that I was going to um, ponder on this. I talked to Tom Crane and Ben Partridge, who've both been on the show. We were working together, and we spent about an hour discussing this. So, rather than another letter, can I, can I give you this question? Yeah. OK. So, you, you are transported back in time to 1996, yeah? And you're appointed manager of Liverpool. Yeah. You've got all of your present-day knowledge. What would you do? Do you think you could get them to win the league based purely on what you know now that no-one else knows? Oh, that's a great question. And what would you do?
2: I have such overconfidence with these hypotheticals sometimes. I once said to someone that I reckon I could beat up Manny Pacquiao because he was so little. <laughs> I'm still... Because <laughs> I was like, the height advantage and the weight advantage surely makes no difference.
3: But to answer your question... I don't think you would land a single punch.
1: <laughs> no, of course not.
3: I think he'd beat you up with his hands tied behind his back. <laughs> That's the most <laughs> absurd thing I've ever heard in my yeah. life. I think
1: he's,
2: like, five foot four, isn't yeah, he? just like kicked many... shit out
3: of you. <laughs> you can't kick him
1: boxing, mate. <laughs> so what are you doing? You're a manager of Liverpool. I, I, do you know what? I
2: used to th- I used to dream about this as a kid as well. Like, just imagine if you could go back in time and tip them off. Like, sign Andy Cole. Sign. Yeah, sign you're too convinced. late for Andy
1: Cole there. Yeah, 96. So who are you signing? And also... I'm going to ask you some questions. First questions: Who are you signing? I think you need to
2: go and do basically sign all the players that Arsenal are about to sign. That's that would be my tax. I think you'd be looking at your
1: Vieira, your Vieira. So you you're just going to try and chug along with a load of players that aren't going to blossom for two years. I suppose. Uh, yeah, I suppose. But
2: then you'll go. You'll have
1: a period of dominance. What's the ultimate end game here
3: that you want to well, win I suppose the league?
1: Once you get the momentum of winning the league you should be fine for the next 20 years because you'll be able to remember all the players. Do you know what I mean? But the difficulty is getting going, I suppose, isn't it?
3: Yeah. I I think, yeah, similar to Skull, it's a bit like when you buy a new version of Football Manager. You're a bit shit for the first couple of saves. But if you get far enough into the game, like, say, five seasons in, you know then who all of the really great kind of wonder kids are that are coming through. So the next time you start a game... You just sign your Freddie Ados, your yeah. Robbie Keane's, those sort of 14, 15-year-olds. And then you've got this amazing kind of class of 92 youth squad coming through.
1: So who are you signing at Liverpool in
3: 1996? I don't think you're getting Patrick Vieira because he's at AC Milan. Yeah. You don't yeah. think you're getting him? You don't think you've got the resources? Because how do Arsenal get him? It, because it's Arsenal. arsenal Well, Ve-
1: uh, Arsene Wenger. Remember, this is you that's going out to get
3: Patrick Vieira. So am I... Not, I'm, I'm Liverpool manager but not respected or or am I a sort of di- yeah, you're director just of Liverpool? One. Yeah,
1: yeah, you're just okay.
3: Well, then I think in that case I'm probably getting them relegated no matter what I do because none of the players... <laughs> none of the players are going to listen to me. You don't
1: think that you could... The, the sheer reputation of Liverpool... Imagine you, your you, first
3: training session.
1: What are you doing in your first training session?
3: Well, I, I don't know. I mean, is Neil Ruddock still there at that point? Imagine what the team photo looks like with you as the manager. I think... You're 38, Michael. You could easily be a manager. You
1: could easily look like a manager. You just get a
2: good assist. Just get a good assistant. Get a Don Howe type. Would you... And Don Howe's going to listen
3: to you? Don Howe's going to be... Who the fuck is this guy?
1: (laughs) You just go, Don, I'm from the future. (laughs) Chill out. Would you you tell Don you're from the future? Because it'd be awkward when you said, I think we should sign Zidane, and he said, I don't think he's going to make it. And you go, I have to let you know that he does.
2: (laughs) But, you know, I was just thinking,
1: weirdly... I don't, think,
2: I don't think bringing in the players is enough because actually in 96, West Ham are about to have Rio Ferdinand, Frank Lampard, Joe Cole, Jermaine Defoe, Michael Carrick, you know, the list goes on. They, they, they would be on the list of play, people most people would be trying to get in 96. And actually we had them all and it didn't make a difference really anyway. Yeah. So it, it, maybe, this is it, maybe this proves the point.
1: Would you, do you think you'd have the knowledge to implement modern tactics...
2: Yeah, that's a different yeah, I suppose, do you like, think you
1: could communicate the gay press
3: <laughs> to some footballers from the nineties? I think here, based I, Okay, here's what I do. I've I've thought about it. I don't think you could convince any players or high level coaches to buy into what you were doing unless you prove that you were from the future, like Skull suggested. Yeah, so I think yeah. what I'd do is I would to win them over and it might take like a month. I would accurately predict news stories, football results, all of these things. I was like, "Look, guys, this is you're going to laugh at me, but here's what's going to happen in the next four weeks." They think
1: you're a magician. There's no way. What
2: big news story? I can only think of one. Like, keep what Tupac's going to die. He's going to get shot in September '96. Don Howes going. Who the fuck is Tupac?
3: (laughs) (laughs) But then I think I'd get enough of them on side where they're like, "Okay." You know, the, you know, in the way that sort of they say that Pep Guardiola is so good a coach that he can almost predict what will happen in a game if you do this, 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 yeah. and this. I would do a kind of historical version of that so that enough of the team and the club believe, okay, this guy knows what he's doing. So
1: you'd say two backs going to be shot, and they'd all come in and they go, incredible. And then you go,
3: so We're map the when, th- human When Gino. the, the centre
1: back gets <laughs> yeah. the ball, I want you to
3: run at him. No, because I. I, I, I <laughs> I wouldn't then try and. I don't have enough knowledge of football as a coach. My ideas would be awful, but I would then bring in would people. Would you try and
1: track down Ralph Rangnick and go?
3: I think you're onto something. Yeah,
1: that in twenty years is going to matter.
3: Yeah, trust me, your kids will be into this, Back to the Future stuff. What's what's my sort of remit in terms of timeline? Like, how soon am I expected to win win the title? Well, you'd get
1: sacked by Liverpool if you'd underperformed, I suppose. We could judge it on whether you think what Liverpool's aim was in the late 90s. You're going to need to win the league within three or four years. Okay. You're going to need to be challenging.
3: I think that's doable. And also, because I'm winning the lottery every single week, I can fund these transfers. you Michael,
1: because there's no way you remember the lottery numbers from 1996.
3: Well, am I being transported right now without... Am I not allowed to do a little bit of research? No, straight back. Oh, okay, that's problematic. Well, good news is Princess Diana's going to be fine. Um, But outside of that, I think I'm getting (laughs) sacked as Liverpool manager fairly quickly. (laughs) (laughs) I think once I'd convince people that I was from the future, I'd probably try and have a quiet word with Michael Owen and Robbie Fowler and sort of go like, hey, here's the mistakes you're going to make in your career. Stay, be one club legends, and maybe change the course of the narrative that way.
1: Don't go into punditry,
3: Michael. (laughs) Watch a few (laughs) more films, mate. (laughs) Um, If
1: anyone's got any theories on whether they think they could do it, or any footballers' names, or any 90s o'clock news, this is how to get in touch.
3: Get in touch with the show. Email hello at quicklykevin.com Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at quicklykevin.com And sign up to the mailing list at quicklykevin.com. Okay, time now for our guest. He's QK Family. It's the wonderful Matt Ford here to discuss this month in the 90s. He, of course, has chosen May 1997.
2: Please welcome to Quickly Kevin, friend of the show, broadcaster, comedian, political commentator is Matthew Ford. Hello. Welcome.
1: Currently on tour. Let's let's do that. At the, let's do that at the Get start. Out of the way. Let's do that. Do you mention any 90s footballers? Oh. I do mention
4: some modern footballers because I've got a Jamie Carragher impression, so I crowbar oh, yeah. that in. Because I do voices, I feel like I need to do more than just the political ones. Yeah. So I have little sections where I'm like, oh, can I sort of tangent off into football and boxing and stuff? So I've got like a, I've got like a deliberate kind. Of, it's almost like going into the sidings. Um, if, yeah. if it was like a train ride. So I'd just kind of pull off into the sidings, do some football impressions, and then get back onto the main <laughs> line and, and sort of
1: yeah. um, try and make up the time. So Is that Jamie Carragher to- now a figure that cuts through with the masses? Oh, 100%. And is I it? Think because it's a fairly cartoony... Basically,
4: because Gary Neville's joined the Labour Party, that has given me a sort of legitimate <laughs> Oh, what if everyone else got involved? Gary, I'm not saying that I disagree with Universal Credit.
5: You know, all I'm saying is...
4: And then just have sort of Carragher, and then have Roy Keane talk about... Other... So it's just
1: like a shameless way to kind of like just quickly get in a load of football impressions. <laughs> um, to, to, to take it back to... The, we've had Carragher on this, so he counts as a 90s footballer. <laughs> uh, to take it back to uh, Nottingham... Forest in the nineties, mm. uh, but relate it to the current day. Do you see Roy Keane and think about Nottingham? Do you see? Are you one of the people that would associate Roy Keane as a Nottingham Forest player as opposed to a Manchester United player?
4: Um, I guess it's both. But first and foremost, obviously, yeah. I, I mean, not and not just out of a nostalgic thing. Cork think, City player. <laughs> it was Co Ramblers, wasn't it? We signed him for <laughs> oh, when sorry. he was um, seventeen, I think. Um, but yes, I think if you're growing up, it's the first thing you see someone in is what they are really that that's set for life then isn't it so in a weird way oddly he looks more now like he did when he was at forest than he did when he was at united because he's gone back to being very skinny yeah. clean shaven and with quite a bit of uh height to his hair whereas obviously when he was at united he had a very 90s haircut and got quite bulky yeah so he's sort of gone back to how he looked which makes it even more reminiscent but yeah i mean certainly to my generation he's always always forest did you realize how funny
1: he was No. He's fucking hilarious on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) He's so good.
2: But but he's so funny he's not the the same character. It's
1: it's a different Roy Keane. He did one the other day. Incredible one. So, picture of him at the cinema with his son. After arguing with him about whether to watch Scream or Sing 2, I finally won. Sing 2 was brilliant. Absolutely (laughs) lovely bit of material.
4: I can't um, imagine. I'm not on Instagram, so I feel like I'm missing out on a
1: whole... Part of society. He's he's consistently yeah. hilarious. Yeah. So this one, happy birthday. This is a on his anniversary. He's put it's a bit. He's basically done what you do, skull. He's put happy birthday to my first wife, and then he's taken a <laughs> photo of him and his wife, and he's cut her out of the picture. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
4: he's, he's an funny. absolute hoot. Do you think he's found out he was funny by accident, and then has decided to
1: kind of lean into it? It's interesting, isn't it? How self-aware he is. Do you know what I mean? Hey, I can't ever recall him cracking a joke in his playing days. Not even
2: smiling nothing. Do you know what I mean? I think Mika Richards has brought it out of him. Stories haven't really emerged of him being a laugh in the dressing room ever. And they would have done, surely. So now, did he just
4: have it there all along? Just dormant? He's blossomed late, hasn't he? He's basically yeah. become... It's the equivalent of getting good looking later in life, but with comedy. Like Mika <laughs> Richards has basically paid him a bit of attention <laughs> after everything he's said for the last two years. And he's thought, you know what? I think I'm pretty funny? Well, I don't know why Terry Wogan <laughs> fucking turn <over. laughs> he's turned up. He's He's thought, actually, I'm quite funny. I'm going to do something in this. Yeah. Because Micka Richards finds me hilarious. Yeah.
2: But on that, do you think if Roy Keane had a Radio 2 breakfast show, would you... i tune in every day. I yeah. Know, oh, do, yeah. it would be
4: great. There's it a gap in the
2: nation for a hearty, comedic what, Irish personality. What do personality. you think Roy Keane's music tastes are?
4: Pretty traditional, I think. I think there'd be a lot of um, Irish folk music and Foster, then and Alan. The- Foster and Allen, <laughs> Foster <laughs> and Allen, the- and the
1: Gordon Lightfoot, and, um... bit bewitched line things. <laughs> uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would he like kind of David Gray and stuff like that? Like that kind of. Oh no, I think Do he'd you think hate he- that. Do you think he owns "O" by Damien Rice? <laughs>
4: <laughs> I think he got a promo copy and never played it. <laughs> I reckon he's got a bin of like promo copies, but I think he's one of those people. You, and you obviously have to do this when you're on the radio is kind of make out that every text is really hilarious. I think he would bring an edge to breakfast radio on Radio 2 that no one has ever brought before. So I think he would get texts going, Mary here texting in from Waltham's door saying she wants this. What a load of rubbish. Look, you're the sort of person who, who pushes your pram out at a cross and... <laughs> You're inviting the car to hit you. I think he <laughs> would really go for people. I think he would use it as a way to
3: um, get his beefs out.
2: It would be unmissable radio.
3: I can see him going in like they were Alfinger Harland. Just like, <laughs> have that Mary, you
2: <laughs> <laughs> Mary will send a shitty text in and then eight years later just clobber her on a high street somewhere. <laughs>
1: Little does he know that Mary's daughter is going to be the greatest footballer in the world in 20 years. <laughs> The greatest emailer in of a radio station ever lived. I wonder how much he regrets... I wonder how much Erling Haaland's uh, ascent has really hurt Roy Keane. Like, that's the ultimate revenge, isn't it? Roy exactly. Keane's going to the cinema with his son to watch Sing 2. <laughs> Meanwhile, Erling Haaland's the best footballer in the world. Anyway... Let's travel back. We've done this twice. We did it with Tom Crane and Tom Parry, but we decided a much better way was to get our guest to nominate their favourite month of the '90s, and then we will put it into our um, put it into our categories and discuss it and decide whether we think it was one of the great football months of the '90s. Matt, what have you chosen? I, my first choice, and I stuck <laughs> with it, was May 1997. Oh, okay. And you've chosen that not for footballing reasons. Well. Because I I looked at the league table. Yeah.
4: (laughs) 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 Yeah, it's a terrible month for Nottingham Forest. But overall, there are very few dates, I think, in your life, apart from birthdays, where they have a real impact on you, where you could say exactly how you felt that specific date. And obviously May, it's the 1st of May, 97. So the first day of this month starts off
1: with this seismic political event. Which was the general election. Could I just ask, is that... So the general election day is May the 1st? Yes. So the results are on May the 2nd? That's
4: right, yes. So Blair becomes Prime Minister really on the 2nd of May, but obviously we remember these things
1: by the day they happen. I think he finally became Prime Minister uh, on Black Wednesday five years (laughs) earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) At some point, (laughs) I don't quite understand.
4: (laughs) 97 for me in general... I think of even despite Forest's relegation is an amazing year because as a you know supporter of New Labour, that's the year really it all happened and Be Here Now came out and that's my favourite Oasis album. So 97. Which is an incredibly mad choice. I
1: always get, I get abused for How, it. Actually. Do you know anyone else who agrees with you on that? No. No, of course not. I'll I tell, I tell,
2: I tell you what though. No, I will disagree. I've always felt that 96, 97 is the kind of the no man's land of 90s football. Yes. Because... It just—it's a bit nothingy. Like you've got Euro '96 on the uh, one side the, the World Cup '98 in the other, and this this season just felt a bit. There's nothing really
1: happens. Also, I, I think you've got the '96 title chase was Man U v Newcastle, yeah. yeah, and the '98 was Man U v Arsenal, both kind of big, important. The Wenger one. This is just Man U winning a. Another title that you don't really remember. Yeah. This, in terms of Man titles, is very much the fourth single off an album. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's... <laughs> How do, you, how do you feel as a man you found about this season, Michael?
3: Well, I completely disagree with what you said about it just being another title that we we win.
2: Yeah, yeah now you say that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <You, yeah. laughs> Hark back to the golden age of 97 now.
3: <laughs> well, I mean, the biggest story for me as a Manchester United fan in this month is Eric Cantona. Eric Cantona's announcement that he was going to retire from the game. At the moment, forty sent through this date that was like okay this is going to be blair heavy and b i was like oh oh that's when cantonal announced that he was leaving
1: do you remember where you were in the same way that we remember where we were for seismic historical events do you remember where you were when you found out eric cantonal because it came
3: out of nowhere he was 30 my main feeling was that it wasn't true that it was just a sort of story and eric being eric he probably announced it because he'd had a bad day but Obviously, he was going to be there next season. We just won the title. He hadn't had a great season, especially the back end of the season. I think his form was a bit patchy. Um and I remember well, specifically
1: it was one of those seasons that didn't really matter, didn't he? Because he knew
2: between ninety six and ninety eight, the real season. He, he found it so boring, he was like, Fuck this.
1: <laughs> this is filler. This is such a such a Do filler I do filler I want season. another
2: ninety-six-97 next season? No, I don't. <laughs> oh my god.
3: <laughs> He, had played, he hadn't played. He had played very well in the Champions League semi-final against Dortmund. We lost both legs 1-0. And I think he'd, he'd come under a bit of criticism and, and had been in recent years about his inability to sort of perform in Europe in the same way that he did yeah. for United in the league. And obviously, you know, Cantona being Cantona, he's a bit of a renaissance man. You know, he's a poet, an artist. He wanted to be an actor. And I think it's a decision that he made that he's always stuck by. But I think there are probably times in his life Especially ninety nine when we won the Champions League, when he still would have been a big part of that team. And do you we wouldn't have signed Sher- in that team a hundred percent because really? he would have just done what Sheringham did for us in the subsequent two years. We needed that role. You might, you might not have won. Yeah. Well, we might not have won, or we might have won comfortably if with him in the team. There's no way of knowing in that, that kind probably, of sliding doors.
2: You don't, You probably don't sign Sheringham, and Sheringham does the flick on for the Schultz shot. Cantona would never do a flick on like that.
3: But we might have been ahead. Cause you Cam might have been tomorrow, 4-0 up. Yeah, because you know, no, no. I mean, this is a sort of moot, 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 moot discussion. Um, but I remember... We need to get uh, to the bottom of
1: this. Yeah. <laughs> Before we move on. We,
2: we need to, to find so... something to
3: talk about in this fucking
2: season. Cause not, not like... <laughs> I can't believe you're so down on it. This, to me, is when
4: the Premier League had really found its feet. Because mm. the first season, you're like, it's new, but it basically is English football under a different brand. It was basically the same as it would have been if it was the Barclays League back in the day. Yeah. And then it starts to sort of evolve into this thing. And by 96, 97, I think this is when the kits had started to get really silly. Like it was the first time I'd seen a Forest kit and thought, oh, I think it's getting a bit daft. And in retrospect now, I really like it, but obviously you you tie them to specific goals and memories. But it was the first time I think like the baggy kits were getting a bit out of hand, the goalie tops were getting really silly. This was when 90s football really became, I think what we remember it as. And I think that's when, in a way, it's the same as, I, I mean I like be here now because I just think it's a mad overblown massive sound yeah. but I like it when things start to go a bit too far that's when I enjoy them the most when this they're reaching the, almost this like is,
1: this is the 30 guitars on my big mouth of football <laughs>
5: <laughs> Exactly yeah
4: you
1: like this is when you go oh this is starting to get bonkers now this is something different The problem was Graham Kelly was taking so much cocaine he couldn't <laughs> he couldn't control the Premier League anymore Him and Rick Parry (laughs) down at The Good
5: Mixer.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, that's a joke. Obviously, that's a joke, just to be clear. Well, Um, the FA headquarters was just around the corner from the Groucho Club in the 90s, so surely Graham (laughs) Kelly's...
1: (laughs) Did you know Sir Burt Chip was actually uh, one of the members of Fat Les? (laughs) But oh, do you know what? What I'll say about him, he was the most likable member. Which is the that's, that's the most insane. He's was the only one I'd actually want to spend any time with. <laughs> Who
4: was in it then? Keith
1: Allen Alex, Alex James and Damien Hurst. Damien Hurst and then chip. And, Bert what, and <laughs> so you think this was a kind of zenith point. So let's let's go back. So we've got yeah. L- Labour winning the general election on May the first. Yeah. The day that eighteen years of Tory rule ended. Yeah. We won't go too deeply into that, but where were, where were you all? Do you remember where you were, Fordy? I was at school, and what I, what
4: I really remember is, I remember the exit poll. I mean, I've watched it back on YouTube so many times, but Dimbleby says something like, time now for our exit poll, and um, uh, we, we hope people have been telling the truth. We certainly have. And then it goes, dying on the 10 dong of yeah. uh, Big Ben. We're saying that Labour of one and a landslide is likely. And you just like, oh, my God. You know, at that point, obviously, all of us had only ever known a Tory government. So just like, this is huge. It's not just a, a victory. It's like as close to a revolution as you can have in a parliamentary democracy. And then remember the following day at school, our history teacher, Mr. Kelly, just at the start of the lesson saying, put your pens down. You know, we study general elections of the past. We've been doing Gladstone and Disraeli and stuff like that. And... Uh, He said, this is one of those elections that people will really study in the future. So just, you know, read all the papers you can today and really take it in because it's one of those rare rare days. That's of
2: literally
1: no help to my exam in a month. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Drink it in! I swear you'll
4: never see anything like this again!
1: It was like that. That was our Aguero moment in um, I, I, I'm trying to revise for exam. I don't need to be able to pass this in ten years. So, please, please, can we concentrate on the roundheads and the cavaliers at this stage? May the 3rd, Katrina yeah. and Waves win the Eurovision Song Contest. Yeah, I uh, mean, with... speaking
2: of a revolution, Britain winning the Eurovision
1: Who'd that felt, it? that did feel like something that would never happen. I th- was it a bigger deal when we were kids or were we just kids but I seem to remember the Eurovision Song Contest mattered more it in the 90s felt
4: like we had a chance of, I mean I, I still the, the fact that Gina G didn't win it still shocks me yeah. yeah I can't believe I mean given I mean I know that Eurovision's like a genre all of itself but Gina G's song was fantastic I think I bought it on CD. Well, no, I didn't buy it on CD because I bought the X-Files theme tune
1: instead. By, by Mark, Mark Snow. Snow. <laughs> yeah. I bought that as well. As well. Oh, why?
4: What? What? that's why. What, what
1: was it like in length? Did they, had Mark Snow done anything to lengthen it? Like, was that, you know, when they're like, they add a verse or like, they've <laughs> or was it, he didn't add a vocal or anything. It was just simply a longer version of the, X-Files theme, of tune. the X-Files theme yeah, tune.
2: I-, I bought it on cassette single.
1: Did you? Mm. Yeah. And how often did you listen to it?
2: Twice? I no idea. Why have I done that? Why would they release it? It's not even that, it's not that memorable or good. D- did it go to number one? You know
4: what? I no, bought the album.
1: You bought the, the album. The Mark Snow
4: album. It was like it was music by and inspired by them, you know, the series. Just some of them. There was a song called Unmarked Helicopters that <laughs> to this day, whenever I think of a bad song, I think of that. Who was it by? <laughs> Let me just Google it. It was appalling. Oh. It's by a band called Soul Coughing. Is it on it, Spotify? Shall I play it here? It's like, unmarked helicopters.
2: It's just terrible. Uh, just to clarify, the X-Files theme tune was released as a single and got to number two in the charts, where it stayed there for three weeks until it got overtaken by Robert Miles' children, and it started dropping Just about to say,
4: was at the same time as Robert yeah. Miles' children, because they both had a sort of
1: similar vibe. Matt. Did you, Michael, as a man who we, we've previously established is very much into divas a uh, huge fan of Gloria Esther fan. And Cantona. Yes. And Cantona <laughs> <laughs> Did you, did the, Katrina, were you a Eurovision Song Contest fan?
3: I I, I wasn't and I didn't care. It didn't really register at all. I don't think I, I came on board with um, Eurovision as a kind of cultural touch point until it became a bit more ironic. Right, I think probably yeah. at university and that sort of like drunken watch along laughing at them rather than with them things started to happen but in, at this point in my life I would have been far too busy playing Golden Iron Championship Manager to ever give a shit about the Eurovision Song Contest oh,
1: right. I, I really care because Ireland won it three years in a row it was a bit it was part of that kind of Irish domination of the 90s culturally and it felt like they'd never stopped winning it and then obviously there's that kind of story that was then kind of turned into the Father Ted episode that they Probably apocryphal story, I should say, that they couldn't afford to keep hosting it, so they intentionally <laughs> lost <laughs> it. Was just incredible.
2: I was so happy we'd won, but then when she got interviewed afterwards, you're like, she's not British, and then I was like, what, what's going on here? And I felt it really took off the win because I, th- I thought that's
1: what I thought you had to be British. That was the yeah. idea. Well, Gina G was Australian as well. Yeah, we Gina were constantly G was Australian. sending ringers. Yeah, it <laughs> <laughs> yeah Greg Rozhensky.
3: I never wanted Rozhensky to win Wimbledon for that very reason. Oh, it, 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 it felt like cheating. Yeah. It felt like putting a Mega Drive game in and putting sort of up, down, left, right, A, B, C, A. It would have been a, a hollow, empty victory. It's not the best cheat,
1: though, to just get Greg Rozhensky. We haven't got Pistol Pete and press. Like- <laughs> The only other (laughs) bit of news of the month, but I'd say that's unfair because that's two seismic events from the 90s. The only other thing I could find was Gary Kasparov loses at chess to supercomputer Deep Blue, which, in a way, is a huge moment in human history.
3: Yeah. That's that's the
1: moment computers began to take
3: over. But is it? But is it (laughs) that big? genuinely <laughs> because if for my entire life every time something like that happens it's always oh, Skynet it's Terminator 2 it's coming true yeah, yeah. and yet the best they can do with those sort of robot human hybrid <laughs> things is get it to like jump up a step bad yeah. <laughs> and this is what nearly 30 years later they always go oh yeah, 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 yeah but also when the humans versus machine war happens, it's not going to be war games. They're not going to play chess. I don't give a fuck if that thing can beat me at Tic-Tac-Toe or Connect Four. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's this kind of complacency, Michael,
2: that led to Terminator 2. <laughs> yeah. well, to be fair, Kasparov <laughs> did
4: take
1: it to a battlefield and kick the shit out of it after
2: all. <laughs> all, really.
1: I mainly... I, more than Kasparov versus Deep Blue, I remember earlier in the 90s when Kasparov... Uh, went up against Nigel Short, who was the great British hope of chess. And it was a similar kind of thing to, you know, when Bruno fought Tyson Mm. and everyone knew he wasn't good enough, but there was this hope that this British pretender was going to do it. That's my main chess memory of the 90s. I was never really into chess. It didn't really uh, do it for me. Gary Kasparov now, obviously quite a big big deal. Deep blue. Not really. Deep
4: Blue is definitely silent about what's going on in Ukraine at the moment.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Coward. And then what were you listening to that month? Um, So news-wise, we're going to go pretty seismic, apart from Deep Blue, which there's some doubters about. Music-wise, I'd say quite a run month in number ones. Everyone, because this is the thing. If you asked anyone what was number one, they'd all presume it was uh, Things Can Only Get Better by D. Ream because that's kind of associated with the time. Yeah. That was actually from about three years earlier. Gary Barlow's Love Won't Wait, which I have no memory of at all. I didn't know... Gar- I remember Gary Barlow's solo career as a complete failure. Yeah, I was surprised yeah. to see that he had a number one here. Yeah, it's quite interesting that, isn't it? You kind of It's a bit like when like a manager takes over and they get manager a month and then it all goes wrong. <laughs> Gary Barlow had that brief moment of thinking... Oh, actually, this is going to (laughs) happen. Yeah,
4: wasn't his first song, Open Road? I don't know. It was really bad. Keep on walking down that open road. And then it was like, (laughs) the man is me. It was like, almost like a twist at the end that he'd been talking about himself. And I remember him going on Clive Anderson's All Talk. (laughs) And it was obviously like the him Robbie thing was going on. And he tried, he did that terrible... Gary Barlow's the closest thing to a politician, to a Tory politician that music (laughs) has ever had. (laughs) He was trying to look cool... And he was obviously, like, sort of still in the laddie 90s. And I remember him saying something like, oh, I've had many nights waking up, uh, hugging the toilet, you know, <laughs> trying to make out that you'd, like, oh, I, I was sick once after five pints. He was just like, oh, this is
1: so sad. I think what Gary Barlow versus Robbie Williams felt like at the time was, like, a real embrace of charisma over, over the guy that's got the natural aptitude. And the, it was like, we're going to back... The kind of wild card here—it was a real free Barabbas moment. <laughs> it was—I felt it says a lot about the British psyche that Robbie Williams was taken to our so We really we embraced Robbie Williams over Gary Barlow. I think that's a—I think that says a lot about the nation in a positive way. But
2: that is pop music, isn't it? It's presentation. It's you know—it's sex. It's raw animalistic. You remember- but to be fair to Robbie Williams once his solo career
4: wasn't that good he did like a cover of freedom and something else and then and like what was that one old oh, before I die he brings out angels and that's the game changer Gary barlow wasn't bringing out anything as good as angels at all like no. his
1: early solo efforts were bad yeah. I'm saying Robbie Williams is people who thought Gary Barlow was definitely going to be a success is a misunderstanding of what pop music is yeah, yeah. yes let we can agree on that i think Gary Barlow is the i'm trying to come up with an example but it's He's kind he, of the person. He is, just to use the Tory
2: analogy, he's William Hague. Like, he had all the ability but none of the presentation. And then he ended up growing into
4: something far more serious in
1: the end. Like, yeah. he,
4: he sort of won the long
1: war. He ended yeah. up as a statesman. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think Gary Barlow is like, you know when, like, a player becomes a manager and people go, he's definitely going to be good.
4: Yeah.
1: And you, you can't tell. People <laughs> it, are always go, Ray Wilkins is going to be a great manager. Or, yeah. do you know what I mean? Or... Brian Robson is going to be a great manager when, in fact, it's the person you don't expect that's going to be the good manager. Yeah. He's going to be the good manager.
2: Yeah, but Barlow's solo pop career, a lot of similarities with Bobby Charlton's managerial career. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Who'd have thought Jack <laughs> would be the one?
1: Yeah, exactly. They are Bobby and Jack <laughs> Charlton. Bobby is Jack Charlton. <laughs> <laughs> If you had to choose between Bobby Charlton's comb-over hair or Gary Barlow's peroxide spikes to, to, to wear for the next year, which would you choose?
4: Oh, Barlow! I always thought Barlow was good-looking, actually.
5: Did
1: you? Yeah, even as a child, I was slightly drawn to him. I always felt felt for Barlow a bit that he'd always—he's writing all the songs, and every smash hits award, all of his mates are getting voted the best haircut, the best looking, <laughs> and he's just some bloke. Barlow is, is so close to being behind the scenes. It's unbelievable.
4: <laughs> and he, he was frequently mocked for his weight, and he was never fat. No. It's mad. He got fat shamed and he wasn't even fat. I mean, that must have really hurt.
2: But all the rest were hired because they were dancers, right? They were at the peak of physical fitness. So, like, <laughs> Barlow's just a normal guy
1: next to four lads it. were ripped.
2: <laughs> yes, that's true, actually. we
1: stood next to. Yeah. So people go yeah, well athletes. he's he's, he's shape. perfection times 4. <laughs> <laughs> the other other number ones of the decade were olives you're not alone and mm. eternal featuring BB Winnan's I want to be the only one. What's really I am a huge eternal fan though with the first band I ever saw live. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Drop in drop fact in. this is so I'd have like, must... a thousand quid on Michael saying that sentence <laughs> today rather than you. But, oh, oh, actually like, there
3: was there was a pang of jealousy for me there. <laughs> My first band, my first band was Shakespeare's Sister.
1: Was it? What? Yeah.
3: That's yeah. good. Yeah. We didn't get many people making the journey to the Isle of Wight, so they uh, they came and played on a an ice rink that they would put a, a <laughs> cover over the top of, but the cold would come through. So about forty five minutes into anything that was playing there, there would just be a mass exodus because people were too fucking which cold.
1: Is, which is fine if you've only got one song like Shakespeare's <laughs> Sister.
3: <laughs> that set was seven minutes. So you went to see
4: Eternal. Where at? Sort at the Royal Concert Hall in Nottingham. Um, I it was played on the Power that. Of, Power I didn't Hall know Robinson. I
1: was treading the same boards as, uh, as uh, Esther Verney, a...
4: Louise and um... Kelly. Well, Louise had left by that point, of course. She left after Always and Forever, the debut album, which is yeah. a superior record. I mean, how... If you think of that number one that they had, I Want to Be the Only One. I mean, that's a... it's fine. It's not their third album. It's not great. Um, the first album, Just A Step From Heaven, yeah. is one of the best pop songs of the 90s. Yeah, and it, it sort of took a while to break but I I loved them uh, and you? I had their names written on my school bag on your school bag
1: such a sad sad boy and how did that go down with your like school friends was it odd that you loved them or was that a general
4: Uh, I think they were quite cool uh, it was probably odd that I wrote their names on my bag I mean to be honest I'm not sure anyone particularly noticed just because everyone's bags was covered in graffiti anyway weren't they yeah. so I, I, I yeah. kind of hid in plain sight <laughs> Yeah, I loved them. I thought they were great. I'd go and see them again now. I can't understand why they're doing all these heritage tours. Get Eternal back together.
1: Yeah, well, maybe it's like the Smiths, isn't it? There's too much water under Do the it, bridge. Yeah. yeah, Louise is
4: Louise Morrissey in that, or is she Johnny Marr? <laughs> <laughs> Jamie Redknapp's Yoko.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um. So, Michael, what what was in the cinema at this time?
3: Really strong month, actually, for me. I'm not sure oh, yeah. about in the UK. So normally it's a load of crap that I watch. But when I when I opened up the pages of my scrapbook to look at the cinema stubs, first stub for me that month, Fever Pitch. Ooh.
1: Fever Pitch the movie. Fever Pitch the movie. We've got Pitch, to do a watch Along of
3: Fever Pitch the movie. I forgot yeah, that I'm existed. The... I own that on VHS. So I watched three films that month at the cinema. Second film was the original Screen film. Oh, oh wow. Which, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Did you go with Roy Keane's son? <laughs> <laughs> I, pen- I penciled five stars underneath that. I think this was the oh, wow. the beginning of my uh, reviewing and, and rating system because yeah. uh, Jerry Maguire I saw that month, but that was the, Whoa, s- the second time I had wow. seen it earlier. I'm Probably like two months earlier. That is a great month in cinema. I went with my mum the second time. There's nothing wrong with
1: that, Michael. You gotta enjoy culture. Who did you go to see Eternal with, Fordy? Um oh God. A couple of boys from school. Did you? <laughs> yeah. Lad's Night Out. That's oh yeah, out. And, what, uh, 14, and What was though. the what I mean, this is a strange whether you remember this or not. What was the yeah. demographic <laughs> of the audience? Yeah, sort of teenagers really. I, I do remember
4: one point Eternal doing a sort of Jackson Five montage, kind of, you know, greatest hits, kind of medley, rather. Yeah. And wearing like Jackson Five sort of wigs and stuff, and
5: what?
4: Uh, yeah, I just, they just thought, dressed up oh, as, yeah, as the Jackson Five. Yeah, they dressed up as Jackson Five, Flair. I just thought, oh. Even as a kid, I thought this is filler. I might not have thought about it in those explicit terms, <laughs> but I just
1: thought, oh, come <laughs> on, I'm here for eternal music. This is Once. in terms of filler. This is the '96 '97 season of. of, <laughs> of. Um, I remember they had a support act.
4: I haven't thought about this since the day they had a they had a support act called MN8. Oh, I, remember the, that, I remember that, I remember that, yeah. And this guy kept like <laughs> ripping it. And it was the first time I'd seen like abs in the flesh. Do you know what I mean? What, like from five. He someone... <laughs> 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 was like, He's in the row in front of you. But you know, when you see a body like that, yeah. I mean, obviously it was around the sort of Peter Andre time. You're like, yeah. you almost
1: can't believe a man's body can look like that. Oh, yeah. it, it looks fake. You're like, what have you done? It was insane to think that someone could have abs in the 90s.
4: Yeah, and like pecs, and you're like, oh, yeah. God. And then you're looking down at your own sort of flabby, in my case, <laughs> eczema-ridden torso. And then this guy's there, like... They
2: don't look like human beings. They look like... They look
4: incredible. But, yeah.
2: but that was the thing about Peter Andre, isn't it? Like, I thought Peter Andre got famous because he had abs, and no-one else had abs ever, it felt yeah. like. Whereas and that was now, the thing about...
1: That was why he was famous, because he had abs. It's weird, isn't it? That's what made Peter Andre stand out, whereas now... It would be mad if you went on X Factor and you didn't have abs.
2: And it would be mad if Five did a gig and you didn't have abs.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, are we to presume that that is a pretty, I'd say, weak musically? Yeah. Strong news and film, though. Yeah. And also, we've got to come back to Fever Pitch the Movie, because that—that yeah, that is a classic movie. OK, big football news. Eric yeah. Cantona announces his retirement from football. We've
3: covered that. On, that. on that quickly, have you ever read Alex Ferguson's letter to Eric no. Cantona when what? he retired? Oh, it's <laughs> such a... What do you mean? Well, I think it was probably a couple of months yes. after he had left. Yeah. Uh, so did it take Ferguson by surprise? Yeah yeah 100%. I mean I think I think it had been sort of in the air at Old Trafford but there's a really lovely letter that Ferguson has sort of sent to uh Cantona and he's he's left the club now it's sort of two or three months later. But it's got but is the this air an open of a,
1: letter or it's just been it's just been revealed since I, I think
3: it's been revealed in in subsequent years mm. um yeah, I don't think it was sort of published at, at the time, but it's got the air of a sort of um, almost like a kind of lover writing to an unrequited love, like across oh, the wow. oceans. Uh, like it's in some kind of like Jane Austen. Novel. I mean, I won't read all of this; it's quite long. But I'll just read you a sort of a couple of choice passages. Is it, in,
1: is it in Ferguson's hand? Like, is it I don't, written?
3: I don't know because I've only ever seen a transcription of oh, it. I've okay. not seen the sort of the full one. I imagine it would have been typed. Like he would have sort of said it to a secretary and they would have typed it. Yeah. At the bottom, it.
1: it's signed Alex
3: Ferguson. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it says, "Dear Eric," which is just lovely. "Dear Eric," some months has passed since we last spoke, oh, and I wow. felt. I should write can we to you. I'll
1: stop you just to say posthumously on this. Can we have some lovely romantic music underneath this?
3: Some months have passed since we last spoke, and I felt that I should write to you as a mark of respect and esteem in which I hold you. When we started training, I kept waiting for you to turn up as normal. But I think that was in hope, not realism.
5: Oh wow.
3: And I knew in your eyes when we met at Mottram, your time at Manchester United was over. Although I still feel you should have taken Bot, your father's and my advice, and taken a holiday before making such a major decision, and he goes on to sort of like talk about what's That's going beautiful. on at the club and the signing of Sheringham. Can, can we just ask quickly what would have happened
1: had Ferguson splashed out a load of money on Teddy Sheringham, and then <laughs> Eric Cantona just turned up at training and gone? Do you know what? <laughs> I was only kind of kidding. Surely Ferguson had gone, you're fucking kidding me. I've just spent £3 million on this prick. <laughs> Do you know how much my wage structure's all over the shop if we resign you? Uh, I'll,
3: re- I'll read the end uh, yeah. of, of the letter. He says, um, as I close this letter, I would like to hope that we will have a chat, a drink or a meal together soon. I know the club has written to you about the forthcoming dinner and I hope that you will manage it. But that is not the most important thing. For me, it is to remind you how good a player you were for Manchester United and how grateful I am for the service you gave me. I will never forget that and hope that you won't either. You're always welcome here. And if you just pop in unexpectedly for a cup of tea, no fanfare, just for a chat as friends, that would mean more to me than anything. Eric, you know where I am if you need me. And now that you are no longer one of my players... I hope that you know that you have a friend. Good luck and God bless. Yours sincerely, Alex Ferguson. Incredible! It's so lovely. Like such lovely. Do you
2: you know what? I've read that letter before. Do you know what I thought at the time? He's trying to get him back. It's so (laughs) obvious. He doesn't mean a
1: fucking word of it. You also, you're not going to believe this. Included a mixtape that you made. You're gonna,
3: you're gonna love the X Files theme, Eric. I think you're
1: right, Scully. I think he's trying to I think he's trying to press his buttons. If I was was organising the Manchester United (laughs) annual dinner and trying to get an idea on numbers, I would be annoyed at someone saying it doesn't matter if you're RSVP or not. Like (laughs) Ferguson's absolutely done over the person. Could you just at least get him to just say yes or no to that and whether he wants the fish or the vegetarian option? Because
3: Now you said that, Skull, there's another very quick section I'm gonna read. With with that in mind, I'm sure you've been keeping an eye on our results. And as you can see, we're doing quite well. As you know, we have signed Teddy Sheringham to replace you. But at the moment, he's finding it difficult (laughs) (laughs) to find the space he got at Tottenham. And he's playing deep, so we have some adjusting to do. Players sometimes don't realize how difficult it is to play at our level, as every game is an FA Cup final for our opponents. So I just hope he can do it for us. He's basically saying, Look, this is my new girlfriend. Yeah. She's not as good as you. Yeah. If you it's were a rebound to, if, thing. I, I'm coming back to the family home if you just give me the green light. Yeah, yeah. 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 Wow. That is great. Sometimes
1: on this show, you go, I can't believe there's these massive things that we just haven't covered. And, uh, Alex Ferguson's love letter to Eric Cantona is definitely one of them. <laughs> when you put the romantic, I mean, we'll never know until we listen to the episode. But part of me is hoping that when Michael puts the romantic music under it, it's Mark Snow's X Files theme tune. <laughs> well, that's unmarked helicopters. <laughs> Mark helicopters. Right. So let's go through the other sports news. Um, Man, you win the title by seven points yeah which as we've discussed wasn't a big deal really for any of us
2: although um the last last home game of the season man united when they when they lift the trophy is actually against west ham so i watched that game and then you know, you, could you fill us in on the premier league this month Skull? Well, there's not a lot to say because Man United won the title at like, a bit of a canter, right? Like, it was basically over by the time we get into May, right? Yeah. And on the 11th, 11th of May, where Man United win the, tri- the title against West Ham, and Yordi Croy scores for uh, Man United in a 2 0 win over West Ham. Oh, I mean, that Jordy shows Croix. just quite how
1: pointless the title was yeah. with Jordi Croix scoring the last day of the season. There's not a lot, but I will just,
2: I'll touch on, can I touch on some of the other things that are happening in the rest of football? Yeah. You've got Borussia Dortmund winning the Champions League in 97, beating Juventus in the final 3-1. Do you remember
1: watching that? I remember I watching don't, that. I don't remember yeah. watching that. I, I remember.
3: remember watching it because I remember Paul Lambert, or Lambert. Lambert? <laughs> <laughs> Lambert. <laughs> <laughs>
5: <laughs> Paul Lambert! Paul <laughs> Lambert!
3: He's it's like it's like Camembert when they go on board, you have to really <laughs> adjust their name. But he completely marks it down out of the game. <laughs> he completely marks it down out of the game.
1: Yeah. And, uh... yeah, that was weird, wasn't it? That he was playing for Borussia Dortmund at the time. That was the first you'd ever heard. I don't even know who he played for before. Awful for me not to know who he played for before he done for Borussia.
3: But I think he was one of those, he's one of the early Bosman moves. Oh, so they yeah. had sort of got him on a free transfer and he'd, he'd done yeah. a great job over there with them. They,
1: they wouldn't have been able to afford him otherwise. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, what else have we got? Skull? In the UEFA in the UEFA Cup, you had uh, Schalke winning the uh, UEFA Cup against Inter Milan. Couldn't care less. Uh, that, yeah. On penalties, in what was the last ever UEFA Cup two-legged final. Oh. which feels weird now isn't it like it does feel mad that they used to have two legged finals two legged finals two-legged. bizarre from that's from uh, 98 onwards it was always a, a single game and elsewhere the 1997 Cup Winners Cup final won by Barcelona 1-0 over Paris Saint-Germain and uh, isn't this where yeah Bobby, it's Bobby Robson isn't it Bobby Robson's in charge yeah. of uh, Barcelona so yeah. he wins the Cup Winners Cup
1: uh, but quickly, I just wanted to
2: Oh, in the FA Cup as well, you have Chelsea beating Middlesbrough 2-0, Di Matteo scoring was a, a that's
1: it For me, that's one of the defining FA Cup finals of the 90s. Yes. That, for me, of all the things we've discussed, is the most vivid football match of this month. Totally agree. And I remember yeah. Di Mateo scoring before i even oh. sat down. Oh, Amazing that, goal. It was incredible. And, and then every cup final after that, at the 42-second mark, the commentator would... And, of course, uh, we've already missed the opportunity for the uh, fastest cup goal, which was held by Roberto Di Matteo. It was great. Emerson kind of trailing in his wake in a real kind of symbol of everything that had gone wrong at Middlesbrough in a weird way. It felt thrilling. It felt, Chelsea, felt, Chelsea felt like real good guys in those days. Is that a weird thing to say? Yeah, like a cosmopolitan, cool, different kind of club. Yeah, I really felt... I really liked that Chelsea of Rude Hullet and Gianluca Vialli. Yeah. I, I had a lot of time for them. Well, that yeah. was what was mad, was you had, like,
4: Vialli and Di Matteo at Chelsea, and you had Giannino, Ravanelli, Emerson, and all that lot signing for Borough. That was when you really... It was amazing when big names were signing for
1: yeah. um, Chelsea. But when, you like, Middlesbrough signed Ravanelli, that was just insane. In a way, you're right, though, Fordy, because this was the season Middlesbrough signed all those players... And this is like when the floodgates opened. This season represents the moment it went from, oh, Manu might sign, like, I don't know, Eric Cantona or something, to suddenly after Euro 96, everything, all the floodgates opened. Manu had Jordi Cruyff, Karol Paborski. Liverpool had Patrick Berger, Middlesbrough had Ravanelli, Emerson, Janino, Chelsea had Vialli and Hullet. Like, yeah. it felt like a real change of the guard, maybe. Maybe. I'm starting to reanalyse 96-97 as a more important season. Scully, are you with me?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me just add this. This is how the month ends. It actually ends on the 31st of May with uh, an England fixture. England in their World Cup qualifying group, trying to qualify for World Cup 98. They were away to Poland. And you think about... Four years previous, Graham Taylor struggling to get this team to the World Cup. And here we are on May ninety seven. England win away to Poland 2-0. Shearer and Sheringham. And it, like this is the the kind of the core that this England team is forming that will go to the World Cup the following year. This is like this again is that transition from that team of ninety six, right, yeah. coming into this the kind of almost like Technicolor. The team yeah. of ninety eight
1: is coming coming together. It felt like a really easy time to an England fan, I think. Because, like, that Glenn Hoddle... I, I think that, like, the move from Terry Reynolds to Glenn Hoddle felt quite kind of smooth. It didn't feel like there was any, like... You know, it then felt after Glenn Hoddle, every time a New England manager came in, they just kind of did a 180 pivot from the one before. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so it was always like, the new guy's coming in with a new brush. This felt like the last time when... I think after Southgate, they'll try and keep some kind of continuity going yeah. but like after Glenn hoddle it just felt like it was like now we're going for sven gore and erickson now we're going for steve mclaren now we're going for fabio <laughs> <Yeah>. capello <laughs> it felt like we we're going all over the fucking shop
4: yeah and the england kit was great back then because it wasn't that different to the 96 one like they kept the crest in the middle it was quite baggy yeah they added like the sort of dark blue and red trim on the torso sides I quite like... They still had, like, nice baggy kits that we took to France
1: 98 that was quality. Did you... I didn't even notice the kits getting baggy in the 90s. <laughs> no. Like... The, the, you look... The, you, I couldn't agree more. It's like, how did they do that?
2: Like, none of us... They. It's a trick they pull
1: on everyone. It slowly gets baggier and baggy. <laughs> yeah, have you ever seen that Harry Hill... That Harry Hill um, bit of stand-up about him and his brother wanting more mash with their dinner? And he t- talks about how... They just got a series of spoons that were slightly bigger over over months until and I, so the mum didn't notice that she was making more and more mash. And then they realised there was too much mash. So they slowly brought it back in, but their mum never noticed. And it, it felt like kits were like that. I don't remember them getting bigger. I remember the story was kits used to be small. Yes. The story was never kits are big. The story was, can you remember when we had tiny, small kits in the <laughs> 80s? That first season of the Premier League, you get those
4: really long shorts. Yeah. They're really... It just immediately went long. Like, yeah. I remember at the Forest Club shop, 91, 92, 93, we're, 91, 92, we've got, like, short shorts, and then the summer of 92, and they're three times as long.
1: Yeah. They're like culottes. just these huge, <laughs> like, baggy long feel... things. That was better. Yeah, I loved it. It, it was much better. Ba- I, I never wanted small kids. Like, now. What I, bloke really wants to wear figure-hugging clothes? Only I know. Tossers. So Only tossers. Only tossers and perverts. I, bought a, I went to watch Clapton FC and I bought a shirt because I was like, this is a fun shirt to own. Yeah. And I put it on the other day and I was like, I look repulsive. <laughs> I, look, I look absolutely disgusting in this. This is too small. Yeah. You, you have to, like, buy the wrong size so that it fits right. Anyway, I sound like I'm 800 years old complaining. <laughs> <laughs> Any uh, promotional relegation? And this, this is where it comes to an interesting thing for Matt Ford. Because <laughs> this is possibly the worst month in Nottingham Forest's yeah. decade.
2: Forest go down. Bottom of the league. They finish on mm. 34 points. A goal difference of minus 28. Only win six games all season. Draw 16, lose 16. Yeah, relegated on 34 points, 40. Tell us the story yeah. of that season. I don't really so remember was,
4: it. We got relegated three times in the 90s. Um, 93, 97 and 99. So this was uh, this was really odd because we got promoted under Frank Clark. We finished third in the Premier League. Third. Then we get to the quarterfinals of the UEFA Cup. <laughs> then we get relegated the season after that. So it was really That's surreal. Mad. Such a surreal Still season. Still Frank we had- Clark? Well, yeah, but then this is the thing. So, he gets fired and they bring in Stuart Pearce. So, oh, Psycho's yeah. playing. He's then player-manager. And his yeah. first game is at home to Arsenal. And we beat them 2-1 and everyone's like, oh, my
1: God. And that's God. when he picks the 12 players by mistake. Yes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> in yeah. That so press he conference. hadn't picked a goalkeeper, yeah. Yeah, and had picked a goalkeeper. That was it, yeah.
4: She got 12, It was his missus, so she got 12 out for players. She hadn't picked a keeper. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I remember that game specifically because I had a, a very strict mum. And... If I was ill, I wasn't allowed to play out and stuff like that. And I was ill. And she was like, well, if you can't go to school, you can't go to the forest match. I was like, mum, Stuart Pierce. it's his first game uh-huh. as manager. And she understood and she let me go. And uh, the thing I remember most about it was obviously like this idea that, oh my God, the immediate impact of having him as manager has meant, player manager yeah. has meant that we're, we're going to, we've won. This is amazing yeah. the impact it can have. But I remember <laughs> being right, getting sent off for elbowing Nikola Yurkan in the face. <laughs> You talk about all those exotic players after you're in 96, yeah. we signed the Croatian defender Nikola Yerkan. And it's kind of there's not really much in it. I mean, it would still be a red these days. Yeah. He just sort of raises his arm and yeah. the fans go crazy, he gets sent off, and you're like, Oh my god. It just felt like, well, this is it, we're totally yeah. fine. And then and then Dave Bassett gets brought in to kind of like. Oh what? So Stuart Pierce didn't Stuart. stay on. Yeah, so Piers stays on, but then Bassett gets brought in towards the end and is like, Oh, Dave's just gonna help you out, Stuart. You know, oh, just oh, in case, god. you know. Oh and then in the summer, Pierce leaves to go to um, Newcastle to fin- you know to keep playing and Bassett becomes manager. But what was odd about that season was, uh, oddly, I don't remember that as such a painful experience because there were certain highlights that were fantastic. That Arsenal game, I remember re- really vividly. In the FA Cup, we beat Newcastle away and we, we were really in trouble at the time. And Newcastle obviously finished second in the league that season. Yeah. And we battered them in this amazing cup game. And I remember going to a mum's friend's house to watch it on Sky. And Ian Woan... I mean, all his goals were amazing. He scores two in this game. The second one is absolutely amazing. It's one of the best goals I've ever seen. And this is like a team that's bottom of the league beating a team that's challenging for the title. But I remember that day really specifically because it was a a mum's friend of mine, Jeff, and his wife. And they're like, I'll come around and watch it on Sky. And it was the first time I'd ever met a King Charles Spaniel. (laughs) And to this day... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Honestly, every time I see a King Charles Spaniel, I, you know when you go to someone else's house and it smells different to yours? And yeah. It's a bit warm and it's slightly feature. Yeah. A very sweet, it's warm, beautiful. middle-aged person's house. And I just remember they had lots of food. And this dog's eyes, I'd never seen a King Charles Spaniel before. And his eyes really quite, they looked kind of, they don't look right, do they? They're too boggly. And I thought this poor... I thought someone had stepped on its head or something. Or, <laughs> King John Spaniel looks like someone's squeezed it and his eyes have just sort of popped a bit. And then, you know, they can't afford the surgery or whatever. So this poor little thing was sort of looking at me. And I, I just remember the pang of sympathy I had for this dog in this really hot house. <laughs> and I thought his eyes were bulging because it was too warm in there. So it
1: was just a very... um. something so things, like big day in my life. Yeah, some things just football matches or something that just takes you back to a moment. Yeah. The smell of other people's houses. I don't really notice that anymore. When yeah. I was a kid, yeah, the smell of other people's thing. houses was so, yes. so vivid. <laughs> I, you're yeah. so right about that. I was actually thinking about this the other day. I never go around someone's house anymore and notice a different smell. Yeah. But in the 90s, I vividly remember going to my friend Ian at schools and me and my friend Ben went to his house and I walked in and it smelled like a barber's. <laughs> wow great before i could open my mouth ben went it smells like a barber's in (laughs) (laughs) here and i vividly remember it it smelled his mum must have had whatever it is the kind of spray that a barber would have or that whatever the wet look gel is or whatever it is that made the barber smell what a great
4: smell because usually it's an overwhelming unpleasant smell isn't it's like it's too warm and it's quite sweet that sort of older person's
2: yeah yeah you can say
4: piss if you want oh no it wasn't piss it wasn't that old old (laughs) it was more like mid 50s so like the heating's (laughs) on full blast they've got that slightly um fabricy wallpaper you know with the sort of raised felty flower thing yeah like red very sort of floral um furniture heating on full blast but like you know what it was they probably used biological laundry detergent and I was always a non-bio boy because of my skin so our house never had that fresh laundry smell but you really notice it yeah. in other people when they use biological...
1: But email in. Why do houses no longer smell?
2: My mate Tom, I used to go around his house and I'd be like, it smells of like dog and cat piss in here oh. really, really badly. And then I found out the dog and the cats were pissing on the carpets. <laughs> and then about <laughs> 10 years later, his older brother had moved out and got another house. And I went around his older brother's house and I went in, and that smelled like dog and cat piss as well. And then he had cream carpets and I could see the cat was just pissing everywhere. And I was like... It's intergenerational. Like, is that nature nurture? What has happened there? And that's fine to say, cause like, me and my mate Tom talk about this.
1: All the houses in the family stank of piss. I always wondered whether it was the different types of food people ate. Do you know what oh, I mean? Yeah. How families had different, so some families would eat lots of microwavable food or they'd eat lots of oh, yeah. chips. And maybe that was what set it apart. Oh, yeah. Oh, this family's got an auger, so their house (laughs) smells different. I just... I don't know. Do you remember the other crazy
2: affectation, things you really remember about mates' houses? I remember going around... well, one of my primary school mates' house for the first time, and in his living room, they had uh, a wall. One wall was just all blank videos, just stacked up, one on top of the other. Like, it was taller than me, but at that time it would have only been like three or four foot or something like that. But I was like, why would you have just stacks of blank videos in the living room up against the wall? Why blank ones? <laughs> That's creepy. And I just couldn't, it blew my mind. I, could, I Now, even now, I find it offensive, and I don't even know why. The crazy stuff you see.
1: I, uh, I loved a blank video. So oh, I exciting. loved writing on the
4: label. Yeah. And what I used to do, I mean, I used to record every X-Files episode, but I would also put, like, I would draw in that red pen, like, the eighteen certificate on it. Like, it was like an <laughs> official thing. Write <laughs> like, the episodes on them and stuff. Loser.
5: What a loser.
3: Did you ever have, I remember it was a big day in our household, that my um, stepdad at the time had bought uh, the VHS cases that looked like kind of, like, faux book oh, cover. It's a yes, so reader's
4: digest.
3: Yes, yeah, yeah. Cool. And, and it was it was a real it was a real big moment. I felt like we had gone up a class level in British society when that happened. We, we were the talk <laughs> of the estate. It's like, oh look at look at these fancy pants. we
1: where in fact you'd gone down a
3: class level, Michael. It turned <laughs> yeah, in, hindsight. in hindsight. I just t- t- talking about things that your friends houses smell of. One friend of mine whose parents had a waterbed in their bedroom, <laughs> which was a kind of a big yeah, deal. My friend's parents had a waterbed The room had a smell, like a particular smell, Uh that as a teenager you had no idea what it was. And it wasn't until about 10 years later at university and, you know, in your 20s that I realized oh, it it always smelled of lube and poppers. (laughs) Wow.
5: Oh my God.
4: I mean,. Incredible. There was a guy at the top of our road who had a waterbed. And this was when we were kids. And he sort of let us bounce on it. <laughs> and it was very odd. For, I don't, even as a kid, I was like, that's not comfortable. Yeah. When I was maybe eight or nine, I was just like, that's not comfy, man. But he had this dog called Mogwai that was a, a lunatic and would chase us around. But it was one of those guys who was just, he was obviously just getting nicked stuff, right, and passing it on. But I remember once he had, and this was surreal, and he sold a bag to my mum. A bin bag full of... It was just like um, wafer, caramel and chocolate. So I don't know whatever chocolate bar that would have... Like a big... Bits of drifter, right? But like yeah. big rectangular pieces of it, <laughs> like they'd spouted out the machine. But yeah. it wasn't—it wasn't in wrappers. It was he literally just, just a, a
1: bin bag of drifter, a broken of, drifter, of, of, of raw, of the, just like the raw goo, right? <laughs> like, like
4: deconstructed drifter. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Just in a bin bag, and he was just selling <laughs> oh. these bin bags, right?
4: And he was mad. Sad. I was <laughs> just give it to your mum. <laughs> it sold a bag at the time. I was obviously just—I was like Winnie the Pooh in that, like just like straight in with my hands and stuff. And to this day. There were moments where I just think, why did you get rid of that? You know? And I remember my, one day it not being in my mum's bedroom. I was like, where's that bag of all that? She was like, it was going off.
5: I had to Aww. throw it away.
4: I was like, mum, I could have salvaged some of that. And that burnt me for years. I would still bring it up. I go, <laughs> why did you chuck that away? She was like, we bought it off a man at the top of the street
5: in
4: a a... We should never have had it in the first place.
1: But it was great. Um, and that takes us, I don't know how we've got there, but that takes us to. Any other football news? It, well, there's one story I would we will just call out. I'll just mention a few of the promotions and relegations.
2: Bolton come back, coming into the Premier League, Barnsley in second place. That was uh, exciting. Barnsley going to the Premier League. Yeah, Barnsley. Premier, that yeah, felt it was like a big exciting, deal.
1: Because that, that came from nowhere. They'd never been up there. And they also played amazing football. That was the first. They were the first. I remember they were the team that came up with It's Just Like Watching Brazil. Yeah. And that was Barnsley in yeah. 1997. Neil Redfern in his pomp. Yeah. Danny Wilson was the manager who really didn't go, who was kind of styled as this great kind of, you know, the Marcelo Bielsa of of his day. (laughs) Um,
4: That was the first time I was really like, these clubs aren't as big as us and we're going down and Bolton and Barnsley are in the Premier League. Yeah. And I've really not shaken that off
2: since then. Uh, The thing I love about Barnsley, is still true to this day, is like I love a new team in the
1: Premier League. And Barnsley yeah. just felt so exotic. Oh, I hate it. Every, every new team in the Premier League is exciting for three months. <laughs> yeah. Oh, see great. Brentford have got off to a good start. <laughs> By February, I couldn't give a fuck. By February, fuck them. I opened the good ad. How quickly did you tire of Bournemouth?
4: Like, <laughs> so... I was over it before we start. I mean, again, it's just that thing of going.
1: How have we not sorted this out? <laughs> <air up> There's <laughs> a bit of that with Plymouth. You're like, we're as big as Bournemouth, even we're as big as Bournemouth. Come on. <laughs> uh, what was the other thing? What last Floyd's thing.
2: The, I think the real story of this season, in hindsight, is actually happening in uh, the third division, which is New Money League Two. Winning the League Two that season, Wigan Athletic in second place, Fulham. And then yeah. right down the bottom and Swansea are in the playoffs but don't come up and then right down at the bottom of the league, Brighton and Hereford oh, in yes. a battle for league survival That's a great and they play call. each other on the last game of the season. yes a win or a draw and Brighton stay up and Brighton get uh, they draw one or a last minute equalizer Brighton actually oh. stay up. but they stay up with work that it was decided for on goals scored not goal difference. That oh, was how it was wow. decided about then. So if it was goal difference, Brighton would have gone down and out of the football league.
1: In the event, it was goal scored. They got the point. They stayed up. And I seem to remember that season, Brighton. They had been way adrift. They and it was that. Se- Do you remember they were? They had really bad owners, and who were like doing them. Like they were one of those clubs that was going to go under. They were like it felt like I don't know how far, but they were like 15 points from survival, and they went on this mad run at the end and save themselves there's nothing better than the fixture quirk of the final day of the season when the two teams have to play each other
2: you can't it's just the best
1: and do you know what the problem is because the the way they do the fixtures in the Premier League is they'll never put the big teams against each other on the last day of the season Mm. so you'd never get that at the top you would never get that at the top so it's always it's always at the bottom the following year Burnley v Plymouth play off for relegation that was a similar thing it's you realise in about April, it's not going to come down to it. it? <laughs> it's not going to come down to one day. But there you are. Oh, well, that could have all been different, it couldn't go, it? Yeah. Um, very boring season. How it was it for you? We've already had Michael and Fordy For Plymouth, very boring. Just avoided relegation in what is now League One. Quite a dry season. Chris, West Ham?
2: Yeah. Uh, we finished uh, We finished 14th. Boring. I don't had like, no F- much of an FA Cup run. Not much of a League Cup run. But it's just a forgettable season.
1: Yeah, and the final thing: Did we watch the goal of the month from Janinho?
2: Middlesbrough go down here, don't they? Is this they go? Yeah,
1: yeah, they go down. This they were three one up and they drew three all with Manu at Old Trafford in this game. It feels like Middlesbrough were the, the quintessential too good to go down. Yeah.
3: So the two Brazilians combine, Now the Republic of Ireland fullback Fleming joins in. Well, there's certainly some composure about this Middlesbrough side. They don't look like a team. Next to bottom of the table, and Hignett's into a good position here. And so is Juninho, he's going to finish this one. Juninho for Middlesbrough, beautifully created.
2: No emotion from the manager, but what a
3: blow Middlesbrough have struck here on 15 minutes. Craig Hignett drove in, Juninho with a side foot, Schmeichel had no hope. And the scoreline nobody anticipated is Manchester United nil. Middlesbrough.
1: Oh man, I don't remember that goal. No, I, I, I didn't remember seeing it at all. But I love, I love a team goal being goal of the month. Love it. It's oh, absolutely. On. You want to tone you in your bow? A thump it in thirty no, yards. Yeah, a hit a post That's just a, a lucky hit. The amount of things that could have gone wrong in this.
3: They're three one up in that game at one point. Yeah. If they hold off there, they stay up, don't they? Uh, uh, correct. Uh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? Uh, I've come round to this month. There's
1: lots to enjoy here. We haven't even got to Stan or signing for Aston Villa, but do you know what? Who cares? You've got big news. You've got... Uh, not great music. You've got big films. Then you've got Cantonar Retirement. You've got really good relegation. You've got really good cup final. You've got the Brighton story. Oh. There's lots to enjoy here. Do you think it's a classic month of the 90s, guys? What are we going to score out of 10? We'll start with Michael.
3: Um, Well, I'm going to say, uh, I know you guys said this was a boring kind of inferior season, especially when compared to those that come either side. But for me, 96, 97 season is like season two of The Wire. On first watch, you don't always appreciate the depth and how integral it is to the bigger picture. But on revision and to quote The Wire creator, David Simon all the pieces matter. So I'm going to give this month eight out of ten. No.
1: Eight. Skull?
2: I'm going to go with five out of ten. It's just a kind of, it's transitional month somewhat. It's not great. It's not terrible. I'm glad you're honest, mate. But
4: get fucked. (laughs) It's It's got one of the best FA Cup finals of all time in it. That alone.
1: (laughs) That alone. I'm going to score it six. No, no. It's a seven. It's a classic seven. I think it's not one of the great months, but it's way better than... The, you've got to remember, it's still got a lot going on. There's a lot of Februaries we could be covering where absolutely nothing happened. I mean, the problem is, I obviously picked this because of,
4: like, the, the first remnants. of May 1997. And, and as this episode has gone on, <laughs> obviously I knew Forrest got relegated, but I think the Labour thing has obviously just, in my mind, May ninety-seven is this amazing period in my life. But the cup final
1: is so good! It is a classic. What are you going to score at forty? Nine out of ten. No. Nine that's, what I wow. what you're, that's what you're <laughs> going to get from your guest, <laughs> isn't it? That is a score of seven point two five average. There we go. That so would be an bad. A, wouldn't it? If you got that at GCSE, that'd be an A. If you got that's 70%. a first. that's a yeah, first. Yeah. Well, there we go. It's been an absolute pleasure travelling back to the nineties. What's the tour called, Matthew? And when? Well, we'll we'll. Instagram out the tour dates, but I'm sure if you Google Matt Ford Tour, what's the name of the tour? It's called Clowns to the Left of Me, Jokers
4: to the Right. You can get tickets at mattford.com and I'm all over the UK, baby. There we, we yeah. go. You know, top political impressions, but also lots of football stuff in there as well. There
2: we go. There we go, that was Matt Ford. What a month, what a time. Shall we finish this episode with a quiz?
1: Yes, so people have been sending in their quizzes. This is from Robin Punter. There was a game we used to play at our break time at work during the mid to late 80s. Basically, each player reads out a team's starting 11 and the other player has to get the team quickest guest wins. The twist, you are only reading out the Christian names. Okay, so what I'm going to do... I'm going to read you Teams from the opening day Of the 1996-97 Premier League season And I want you To tell me uh, You've got a buzz in First person to get Three teams correct Wins Okay Does that make sense
3: So you're just going to give us The first name Of the starting 11 The first
1: names Of the 11 players Yeah So it would be Peter Dennis Etc Okay Okay Opening day of the season Here we go Buzz in when you think You've got it right Okay John, Brian, David, David, Paul, Marcus, Kevin, John, Paul, Dion, Michael, and Peter. Michael. Coventry. It's one point, correct. Okay. Next team.
3: It's quite exciting. (laughs) It's tense. It is tense, isn't it?
1: Were were you tempted to go earlier?
3: Yeah, I was going to go Paul Paul because I was like, that felt like Coventry. I don't know why, but obviously Dion tipped it over. <laughs> okay. David. Phil. Steve. Stop. Mike.
1: <sighs> yep. Manchester United. No. Incorrect. Incorrect. Ah. I think it was Liverpool. And the point goes to Michael. It's 2 0.
2: Ah. Oh.
1: <sighs> okay. It's 2 0 to Michael. There's some you can't do. I always had to start Newcastle with Shaka. I was like, this is unacceptable." <laughs> OK. Yeah. John. Gary. John. David. Tony. Gary. Carlton. Stop. Gary. Yeah. Sheffield Wednesday? Incorrect. Uh. Michael to win it, 3-0. Southampton. Uh. Incorrect. It's incorrect. Uh. It was Leeds. Ah. Uh. Uh. Here we go. Dimitri. Stop. Yep. Chelsea. Correct. It's 2-1. Oh. Mark. Gary. Stop. Stop. Chris. Um, it's... Aston Villa. It is! Oh. It's 2-1! <laughs> Unbelievable. Just before Ugo as well, which would have been an absolute... Mark
2: Bosick, uh, Gary Charles.
1: Yeah, right. The final one. Oh. How are you all feeling?
2: I think I've got, I've got into this game now.
1: I'm, I'm nervous. My head's gone. <laughs> Paul. Alan. Chris. Andy. Alan. Michael. Robbie, yes, Michael. Aston Villa. Incorrect. You're out for the rest of the question. <laughs> From 2-0 up. Skarl, do you want the rest of the yeah, team? Cool. Yeah, might as well, eh? Peter. Vinny. Oivind <laughs> <Effin, laughs> and Dean Wimbledon
2: it is there it's 3 to score. Oyvind. Oivind's the one isn't it you just, I think, I'm trying to figure out the way to play this game I think it's just a way to hear one name that you like yeah. do
3: you know the worst thing is you'd already said Aston Villa my head's completely yeah,
2: no, gone your head is completely <laughs> gone at this point Chris what would you like to play us out with OK, to play us out, obviously, May 1997 is the, it's the month that new Labour come to power, provided the soundtrack provided by D-Ream. Let's play us out this week with Things Can Only Get Better, baby. Great. We'll see you next week. Until then, Robbie Slater. See you later. You can walk my path.
5: You can wear my shoes. Lend the talk like me. Be an angel too
0: But maybe
5: You ain't never gonna feel this way You ain't never gonna know me But I know you Singing in our I Can only get better Can only get better if we see it through, that means me and I'm in mean you too. So teach me not to think, can only get better. Can only get, can only get, they it off a million. You know, I know that things can only get better.